Good morning, church. It's Marissa, and this week I have for you a guest. Um, we have Deb Wood here, and she is the director of the Okanagan Valley Pregnancy Care Center. And I got to have a fantastic conversation with her uh, a while ago um, and hear her heart for this ministry and for this community. And she's actually one of the ministries that we wanted to be generous to because you, church, were generous with us, and we had a surplus. And so we decided that OVPCC would be a ministry we wanted to support. And so we thank you for that so much. And I thought it would be great to have Deb here to share her heart, um, a story with us about the ministry and the work that they do. So Deb, how about you share with us a little bit about the Okanagan Pre Pregnancy Care Center? Sure. So I got to speak to you last year, I believe, on Mother's Day, and the Pregnancy Care Center, this will be our 15th year that we've been in, uh, in Kelowna, and I think for me, I've been there just over two years, and I didn't really know what the Pregnancy Care Center did. I, did. I didn't understand that, really, this is Kelowna's Pregnancy Care Center, and it's a center where it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, not a Christian, you find out that you have, you're pregnant, and it's very unexpected. You can show up at the center, and it's free of charge, it's confidential, and we are on this walk with you. And, and I think where I get super passionate is, you know, it's not enough for us as Christians to say, choose life. So what does that mean, choose life? And then what? And then what? So who walks along with these girls? Who helps them with um, rent and diapers and wipes and formulas like the first time I went and bought a girl formula it was like $39 for five days I was like I had no idea and this was a 16 year old girl and she was so stressed out she couldn't breastfeed so how was she supposed to buy the formula to be able to feed her baby and we have girl after girl after girl that are single moms I can think of a girl right now that uh, you know is at the center today and she can't pay her rent and she you know, she needs a new place. She's going to have to move out in September. Mm -hmm. And where, where do you get a new place right now? Like, even for my kids, I don't know that they could find a new place. Like, we've seen the market just skyrocket. And, and uh, she's missed a couple rent payments. And so it's like, there's all these life skills that we need to teach. In, and it's just like this vicious circle. And yeah. so what we've done is we've created programs. Like, we're, we've just started a brand new one. Uh, cooking healthy on a budget, nutrition, and we had no ideas that it would cause the girls to connect so well with each other and that they're so lonely, like just having a baby at home and not wanting to get off the couch, and, and then we're stuck in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so we're finding that our girls are, you know, they're depressed, they're lonely, they don't know how to get their needs met. You can't really go shopping with a baby, you know, it's, it's, pretty hostile out there. Some people think, hey, why are you bringing your baby to the grocery store? So we're doing a lot of those things for our girls right now. Like, how can we support you? So my passion, my dream is I came from employment and we used to have a saying in there, what's preventing you from moving forward? And so when I sit across from a girl or I talk to my staff, it's like, so how do we need to get them from here to there? Because we want them to not only just manage in life, we want them to be successful in life. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool. The other day I was on Canada Helps and 
there was a, a note from a girl that said, you gave me a scholarship years ago when I was a single mom, and I want to become a monthly donor now and give back to your center. And it was like, wow, like she's, she's paying it forward because somebody helped her out way back when she was a single mom. Oh, that's so good. It's so important that, you know, you have, we have such great need everywhere. And to be able to surround a young mom um, in this stage of life when it can be so overwhelming is so important. And so I, you know, you have your baby bottle campaign, which, which aids in this, and this is what we are giving to. And um, how about you share a little bit about that? Because that's, that's <laughs> launching. That's launching. It's Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. Yeah. yeah. So the baby bottle fundraiser, well, we have 2,000 baby bottles, you know, that we would normally take out to, I think, 44 different churches. Mm -hmm. I believe your church would take hundreds of them. Uh, you have been one of the biggest supporters of the Pregnancy Care Center. And I, I really want to say to you, Marissa, and to all at KGF, thank you. Like, really, I feel your support at the center. I know two of the board members are from here, and you guys are praying for us, and that means more to me than anything. And the Baby Bottle is a fundraiser that is our biggest fundraiser. We raised uh, $90,000 last year, and lots of it was virtual. And this year, the bottles are going out to some of the churches, and then you can go on to Canada Helps, or you can just call the center. We've just tried to you know, learn with technology. It's been a huge learning curve. Even tried e-transfers now, and I, I've done a couple of those in the last few days, but it's, uh, it's working, and people are giving, and we, we just want to say thank you, like, because that really does help us to be able to, we don't have any government funding. That's, we run the center basically by donors, and donors such as yourself, and so, yeah, thank you for supporting us. That's so great. Um, church, I hope, I hope you hear Debbie, Deb's passion and um, how important it is for us as a church to surround people who are such great need um, with people who have their hands on the ground, their feet on the ground, and they're running. Um, and so we are donating $2,000 to the baby, baby Bottle Campaign, and we would love for you to match it or beat it. Um, if it is in your ability to give, we would love to be able to support the work um, that God is doing through you, um, because, yeah, it is so encouraging to hear the stories that you um, aren't able to share because of confidentiality, but um, we know that we support you and we love you, so yeah. thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, and if you donate through Canada Helps, just in a little note, say that you're from KGF so I can let Marissa know that uh, you beat her goal. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, so you can check that out in our uh, newsletter or on our website. So church, be blessed today. Yeah, thank you. Philippians 3.17 to 4 verse 1. Join together in my following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have you us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him bringing everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Well, hello, church. 
I'm grateful to be speaking with you guys again as we continue our series in Be the Church, and we're making our way through Philippians 3.17 today. And so before we dive in, I want us to, I have an activity for the kids. And kids, I have two options for an activity. One, you can either draw a flag of the country that you are a citizen of, or citizens if you live in multiple countries. So you can draw that flag, or two, you can draw, you can design a flag for heaven. So if you were given the task to be the flag designer for heaven, what would you draw? What would you add onto the flag? I have my own examples here. So here is my Canadian flag. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, Devin, that's amazing. Uh, thank you. Uh, it really is. I would have loved to say that this was my first attempt, but sadly, this was my third. My other attempts didn't... Well, here, this was my first attempt, and I don't know what happened to the stem, but it's very off-center. And this was my second attempt. We don't talk about this attempt. So I'll leave these here for you to look at, to be inspired by, as you guys design and draw your own flags. And for us, we're going to continue uh, this discussion of heavenly citizenship. I know uh, back in March, Phil, Phil touched on this from Philippians 1, and we're going to revisit it back here in chapter 3. But first, I thought, let's start a bit with some fun history. The city of Philippi was founded by a man named Philip of Macedon, and this was Alexander the Great's father. And even though Philippi was 700 miles away from Rome, it still enjoyed all the benefits and privileges of Roman citizenship. And so I'm going to share this story that Dr. Dwight Pentecost wrote out, and it explains the story of how this place, this the Philippi, began to enjoy the privileges of Rome. So Rome, in its conquest to take over the Middle East, had been warring against Macedonia. And during this war, the Roman army ran out of salt, and they used salt to pay their soldiers because it was such a precious commodity. And this is where we get the phrase, being worth one's salt. So since the soldiers weren't getting paid, they decided to, they threatened to defect from the army and stop fighting the war against the Macedonians. This would leave Macedonia unconquered. However, interestingly enough, the people of Philippi preferred to be ruled over by the Romans than the Macedonians. And so the people of Philippi gathered together and gathered as much salt as they could, and they gave it over to the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire used the salt to pay their soldiers, and in doing so, they went back out and fought and beat the Macedonians. Thus, Macedonia became part of the Roman Empire. As a reward to the citizens of Philippi, the Roman Empire gave them the status of colony. This meant that they had the same rights and privileges as Roman citizens. This included special protection under the emperor, 
They had the benefits of Roman law. They were free, um, the freedom of taxation. So they had been made, they basically became Romans, although they lived in Macedonia. And because of this, many Roman soldiers actually chose to retire in Philippi rather than Italy. Essentially, Philippi became little Rome. They were Roman in their loyalties. They were Roman in their philosophies. They were Roman in its law. And it was in this little Rome, this place of Philippi, where Paul and his missionary team would come and establish the very first church to be on European soil. And here's the interesting thing. As Philippi was a colony of the Roman, was a colony of Rome on foreign soil, that church that Paul started was a colony of heaven on earthy foreign soil. The, Philipp the Philippians were citizens of Rome in a foreign land, and the people of the Philippian church were citizens of heaven in a foreign land. The Philippians lived out the culture of Rome. The church lived out the kingdom of heaven. The Philippians gathered salt from the earth to serve the Roman Empire, and the Philippian church were to be the salt of the earth to serve Christ their king. The Philippians church were called to live in the citizenship of heaven, to live as a colony in heaven as they were part of this colony of Rome. This is the same call we are called to in our context. In our city of Kelowna, we are called to live out the colony of heaven, to live as citizens of heaven here. So this is what we're going to discuss today. And our discussion question is going to be, what do I need to be a faithful citizen of heaven this week? And so we're going to dive into the passages that Reese read for us earlier, in, starting with verse 17. And verse 17 gives us the example of those we should follow. It says, Paul says here, he says, Join together in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul starts out, join together. We are invited to do this together. We are to live out our citizenship of heaven, not as individuals, but as a people who walk together. What does it look like to do this together? Does that mean oh, I attend church with others? Yeah, sure, that's part of it. But it's actually deeper than that. It's a call to step into each other's lives so that we can encourage and push each other on towards living for Christ. We may be part of a Christian community, but do we share in our faith together? We might share the same faith, but do we share in that faith together? Do we just agree on values that are the same? Or do we agree on Christ's call and mission for us? Does the person across from me know what I'm praying for and is there praying it with me? Does the person that I walk with, do they, do they know the things that might hinder me and do they encourage me to keep going or to persevere? Are we in this together? Do we see the Spirit of God working 
in each other and through each other. This is what it means. We got to do this together. In, in the Philippian church, living in that Roman colony, they would have needed to walk with each other like this. It's not like they just went to a service and then left. They were joint, they were in a joint mission together. They persevered together, they prayed together, and they had the goal of spreading the gospel to Philippi. And they labored in that as a team. This is the same call for our city. Do we think about Kelowna in that way, as our church community in this together for the sake of others? And so here's the invitation. Are you in a community like that? And I don't just mean attending a Sunday service, but are you in community where you're seeking the gospel for your city? Are you in a hub? Are you in a disciple-making community? If not, what are you waiting for? And I know that, I think last sermon, three weeks ago, I, I said this and probably said it the prior time I spoke, but it's just so important that we're modeling um, community-centered church because we live in a culture where it's constantly trying to make it individualized. Faith is your own. It can't be that way. Uh, I think of our teens. You know, many of them are in Christian friends and they have Christian classmates, yet journey in their faith alone. I remember one story of one of our teens who was at a Christian school, but yet she couldn't find any friends who would willing to talk about their faith with her, where she could share in the faith that she had. She even told me the story where she was praying for another student in the hallway and she was made fun of for doing that within her Christian school. She had older siblings who had um, a really good Christian community and she would be a part of that and enjoyed it. But when she came to youth group, she shared this longing to see God at work in peers of her own age. And you know, I think that's our goal at youth. That's our goal at DT is to help teach young people to live out their faith with one another. And it is happening. I remember back at our first day at youth in September, um, it was Grace's, I think it was Grace's first youth night. And very sadly, within the first 15 minutes of the youth night, she ended up fracturing her wrist. And so she went into the office and she was getting it iced and mended. But then like seven of her friends came and they instantly said, you know what we need to do? We need to pray for grace. And those seven girls, they're in like grade six and seven and eight, got around grace and they prayed that God would restore her wrist, that they would heal, that she'd be healed, that she'd be okay. And these young people just stepped out in faith for one another. It, in that moment where they began to pray, it wasn't just this idea in their head, but it was this relationship that was lived out for each other. So it is happening. So are we joined together? Are we walking with one another? Are we stepping into the lives of each other for the sake of our faith? So verse 17, join together in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk in the faith. Paul believed that God had saved him so that his life could be a pattern to be followed. He believed that God saved him so that his, he could be an example of the grace of God and how it transforms a person's life. His life was to be this outline sketch of what the Christian life should be. And this is the call that's on our lives. We are to be serving examples of how God transforms the life by his grace. 
And we have the ultimate example in Jesus, which we read in Philippians 2, chapters 5 to 8 a few weeks ago, that we are to imitate him. But we also have the example of those who are walking in faith around us, those where we've seen God transform them and we're seeing that transformation play out in our own context. Both are needed. So we keep our eyes fixed on those living as examples of faith because there are enemies who attempt to shift our gaze onto earthly things. Where are our eyes fixed? Is it on those who are living for faith or is it on those that are calling us to live for earthly things? And this is where we find ourselves in verses 18 to 19, an example of those we shouldn't follow. It says this, So keep your, your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears that they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. These enemies of the cross were people who often claimed to be followers of Jesus. Maybe they fully believed that they were, but their conduct and their teaching actually obscured the true meaning of the cross. And these people would either teach that it was through adopting the Jewish laws and customs that one would be saved. Basically, they would teach it is by righteous, but that righteousness is attained through works. And that's we, we see that in Galatians 2. Or others would teach that you were free to enjoy any and all sensual pleasures because God forgives. So basically they taught grace justifies sin. And so Paul says there's these enemies of the cross who offer this teaching and offer this conduct that actually distracts from those who are walking the true walk of faith. And instead, they're teaching righteousness through works and sin, uh, grace justifies one's sin. And these ideas, though they are quite old, are still creeping in the church today. These ideas still tempt believers to embrace a life of self-absorption, whether through pride or through pleasure. And so we must keep our eyes fixed on what is true. And so we see as Paul warns the Philippian church about these people, these enemies of the cross, he says he has tears in his eyes. He weeps because he knows the destruction that these false ideas and false examples cause on the church. He knows the destruction they wreak on people's lives and how it takes people away from the saving gospel. He weeps because he knows of the destruction that's in store for those who teach these things, who walk in these ways, who live as enemies of the cross. And Paul weeps because the beauty of the cross is being shrouded by how they teach and live. And it's personal for Paul because Paul knows he used to live as an enemy of the cross. Paul persecuted the church. He relied on his own merits. And yet he was transformed by the gospel of grace. So Paul speaks from his own transformation as he still sees those who were lost like him teaching things that are so destructive.
We cannot be complacent about the destructive false teachings that are often tossed around in churches today. But it should break our heart. It should bring us with great concern. And so, as we look at these two, those in verse 17, those we should follow, in verse 18, those we shouldn't follow, we'll actually see that throughout this entire letter, there is a contrast between citizens of heaven and enemies of the cross. So let's go through those. A citizen of heaven receives righteousness through faith in Christ. And we see that in verse 9 here. Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Citizens of heaven receive righteousness through faith in Christ, but enemies of the cross seek righteousness through outward law keeping. And we saw that in Philippians 3, chapter 2, last week. Citizens of heaven can say along with Paul, I want to share in the suffering and death of Christ. Verse 10. I want to know what he went through. But enemies of the cross just want to share in the comforts and the feasts. And we see Jesus talk about that in Matthew 23, verse 6, about the Pharisees just wanting the seats of honor and the praise of man. Citizens of heaven press on to reach the end of the race to receive the heavenly prize. And we see that in verse 14. There's purpose in their pursuit. But enemies of the cross meet their destiny in destruction. We see that in verse 19. Citizens of heaven say, pattern your lives after mine. Imitate me as I follow Christ. Verse 17. But enemies of the cross say, do as I say, not as I do. That's Matthew 23, 3. Citizens of heaven adopt the mindset of Jesus. And we see that in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, where we're called to put on the, the mindset of Christ, one who humbled himself to obedience to God and served. But enemies of the cross have their mindset on earthly things. Verse 19. So, these two ways of living, a citizen of heaven, an enemy of the cross. Are we walking out this call of our heavenly citizenship in all its hope, in all its suffering, and in all its joy? Or has our focus been shifted? Has it been put on the pursuits of the things of earth? So let's jump into verse 20 here. It says, our citizenship is in heaven not on earthly things. And from this, we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So let's get practical. It would be a fair question to ask, what does it mean to live for heaven when my life is here on earth? And you might say, well, I, okay, I go to school, I go to work, I have a job, I have kids I have to take care of, I have a land that needs to be toiled, I have a house that needs to be maintained. Are these things being downplayed? Are these things considered earthly? I would say no. It's actually the opposite. These are the spaces, these are the opportunities, these are the things 
in which we are called to live out our heavenly citizenship. These things would usually have a limited lifespan since they are earthly. From dust they came and to dust they will return. But now, because we are citizens of heaven, they can actually have an eternal impact. How so? Well, this is the beauty that God's called us into. If I am just a mere citizen of earth, then my concerns will only be of the things of earth. But we are not. So, what is called called us to live into? When I live as a citizen of heaven and my concerns are of the things of heaven, then the earth around me will begin to change and transform for eternity. What do I mean by that? It means that my relationships, my work, my responsibilities can have eternal impact when I'm thinking of eternity as I work in those things. When my concerns are of the things of earth, I'm tempted to hold on to those things tightly and afraid of losing them. But when I live as a citizen of heaven, my work, my time, they have opportunity to be worked for God, responsibilities given to me by God, things lived out. We see Jesus talk about this. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. For as long as I can remember, uh, my aunt and my uncle have always opened their home to those who have needed a place to stay. Whether they lived in a big house some years or if they were in a small house other years, their home was open for others. It was open for people to eat and have fellowship and to stay a night or to stay a week or to stay a month. Their home was always full of people. They had six kids, but that didn't stop them from always making space for more. Their home was a home from home for others. A house to them was never just a house, but it was a place of ministry. It was a place of work for the gospel. Their home was a place for building up others. And since they knew that their true home was in heaven, they did not need to grasp or hold on to their home on earth, but to allow it to be a place of refuge and safety and comfort for others. It is in the scope of heaven that our life on earth finds its purpose. I remember this quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, and he talks about this call to live for heaven. And he says this, A continual looking forward to heaven is not, as some modern people might think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but is one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to not leave the present world as it is, because if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were, th were those who thought most of the next world. The apostles who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, they all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. 
Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Is there fear in us when we consider living for eternity, living for heaven? Or is there freedom? And I guess it depends where our treasure is, where our hopes are laid. This reminds me of Jesus' words. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I also love this quote from John Piper as he responds to the statement, there are those who are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. But Piper says, yeah, that could be a possibility. My problem is I've never met anyone of those people. And I suspect if I did meet one, the problem would not be that their mind was so full of the glories of heaven, but that their mind was empty and their mouth was full of platitudes. I suspect that for every professing believer who is useless in, the, in this world because of otherworldliness, there are a hundred who are useless because of this worldliness. Are we living for heaven? Are we living out our citizenship in our community? Another phrase. There's a phrase that I believe all of us, regardless of our generation, have heard in some variation growing up. And it goes along something like this. You need to be prepared for the real world. I think like, you get a participation trophy at track and field and a dad comes and says to you, that's not going to happen in the real world. Or a teacher who won't let you hand in an assignment late because they say, you're not going to be treated like this in the real world. We put a lot of effort in preparing our young people for the reality of the earthly, real world. And don't get me wrong, this is, this is good. This is not a bad thing. But are we also preparing them for the world in which we hope they spend eternity? As we model a commitment to our earthly responsibilities, do we also model an urgency to live for our faith responsibilities? Do our young people see eternity lived? Do they see us living for eternity? Do they see the hope of heaven in us? And does it spur them on to go all in for it? So church, let's stand firm in the Lord. Let us join together towards the call of our heavenly citizenship. Let us live as patterns for others to imitate. And let's live for heaven so the earth around us might be transformed. So the discussion question for today to talk about in your hubs or your groups or with one other person in your home, what do I need to be a faithful citizen of heaven this week?